Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we're experts on teens. Yes, that's really a thing. We work as college admission officers, prep school administrators, and have coached and mentored thousands of teens in our careers. When it comes to teens, we have seen it all. Teens can be wild and wonderful all at once, but they can also frustrate the hell out of you. The good news is that we speak teens. So join us every week as we drop knowledge and interview teens and other experts to help you gain valuable insight into your teenager's world. Because parenting is hard AF, but we've got your back. Thanks everyone for joining us on this episode. We are so, I'm really excited about this episode, Kathy, because we have... You should be. All-star, all-star guests today. So today we're going to talk a lot about... You know, we just got done talking with a student about her journey through the college process. And, you know, as former admission officers, Kathy and I have some insight into our experience of once students apply, but we've been out the game for a minute. So we thought we'd invite a really good friend of mine who we've gone back for many, many, many years. And <laughs> wait, how many? <laughs> a lot of years. Many, many, many years. Okay. Many years. <laughs> um, and we're so lucky to have Jamalette Medina Lopez join us. So Jamalette is currently the Assistant Dean of Diversity, Outreach, and External Relations at Stanford, a school people may have heard of, but she's bringing <laughs> over 15 years of just like amazing diverse experience in higher education at multiple universities and colleges and what I've including our alma mater including our alma mater on. what I have particularly appreciated about Jamalet is her sort of commitment to equity work in the admission process and really ensuring that aspects of this process are demystified and I think she does just I've, you know I've Jamalet I've seen you present many a time and you do an amazing job of making this process which can feel kind of funky and weird for families, you know, straightforward and clear. So just thank you so much. Welcome, Jamalet. Woohoo! Yay! We're so thank excited for to having you. Me. We're yeah. so excited to have you. <laughs> so I would just love to, to know from your perspective and share with the folks kind of what brought you to this work, you know, what in your own background, um, you know, or just in your professional journey, brought you to this work and kind of keeps you in this work. You've been working in higher education for a good while now. It's really interesting because I did not know, right, that you could be an admission officer. I didn't know that was a career like many folks yes. that I talked to in the field. Um, but it is. It, it's a, and now, you know, I've, I've definitely enjoyed being in the career for about the last 16 years. And I started in higher education working at a high school. So primarily was working at a high school doing student discipline. And after doing that for a short amount of time, I figured out very quickly that's not what I wanted to do. I did not want to have no. difficult conversations about student discipline. What I really enjoyed was working with students talking about their transition and sort of what their plan was after high school. And at that time, I was working on my master's in higher education because my goal was to go into student affairs. I definitely mm -hmm. wanted to be mm -hmm. someone who supported students while they were in college going through that journey and always thought I was going to be a counselor. I was going to be a therapist. I was going yeah. to work in a uh, university counseling center and I was going to be a therapist. That was my goal. Mm -hmm. And I took admission. You know, I started in admission as a well, I'm going to do this as I'm working on my master's because mm -hmm. working in the high school setting proved to be 
a little bit more demanding on my schedule, or so I thought at that time. It was very demanding on my schedule and having to go to, to classes in the evening. I thought, oh, well, maybe if I'm already working at the university, that might be a, an easier just um, schedule to manage. And then I quickly found out that I was very wrong <laughs> because admission officers often work long, long, long hours and many, many evenings doing college fairs, doing parent programs, yep. doing student programs, right? Yep. Um, travel. Yep. And lots of travel. Yep. Traveling. But I felt like this is going to be okay because the person who brought me to that position was my admission officer. The person who actually had worked with me in the admission process called me up and said, hey, I have a position in my team and I know that you're working on your master's and I know you want to be at a university. Um, and this was at my alma mater, Texas State, which is in San Marcos, Texas. And so I went there with the idea of I'm going to do this until I finish my higher ed degree and then I'm going to go work at the counseling center. And here I am. So <laughs> that never really panned <laughs> out. Um, but I do use a lot of what I learned in my counseling program just right. in a different sure. way, right? I yeah. find so many of us who we do all this work, we all have counseling backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it, so handy. Yeah. Super handy. Yeah, I mean, I think you almost need it. I And of course, like I said, it's not like I knew that at the time. But now, you know, when I really think of like how much it has served me to have a counseling mm. background, it's been really incredible because a lot of what I do is just really listening and then trying to mm -hmm. work with families and work with students to manage expectations and to try to really explain as clearly as I possibly can a process that it is complex because there's not a one size approach for every university. And I think that is one of the, you know, one of the things that is most complicated about the admission process and that lends itself for misunderstanding and mm. for all these myths and things that sort of are out there about the process. And I think the students, the students keep me in it. I love visiting. I do love visiting high school students and chatting with them about opportunities at the institutions that I've worked at. And it has been really hard because I haven't been able to be physically mm -hmm. in a high school building since COVID. I've been doing a lot of Zoom presentations with students, uh, but it's not the same, right? Like I miss just that energy of being in the room and, and talking with students. So hopefully be able to do that again soon. Soon enough, right? Yeah. So, so I wanted to, I mean, I think Meredith and I were so, when we started this podcast, we really wanted to shed light and we've, we've said this many times and we said this with uh, Sophie, the student that we just talked to a little while ago about pulling back the curtain, right? And I think as you've, I'm sure you've seen, this process is confusing for parents, it's confusing for students. There is no handbook. There is no one size fits all, like you just said, process that works for every kid, for every college. And so how do you... How do you talk about that with families? How do you help them understand how to wrap their arms around this process a little bit or wrap their minds around this process a little bit, right? How do you go about entering? And, and, and full disclosure, you work at Stanford, which is a highly selective college. I believe the admission rate, I think I read 3.5% this past year. You know, it's pretty itty bitty, teeny weeny, incy bincy. <laughs> right? So how do you talk to, how do you talk to families about that? Yes, it, it is a, I've worked at my last two institutions relative to the pool of students that apply have had very small admission rates. And so, mm -hmm. yes, I think, number one, I don't begin the conversation 
that is the point that everybody wants to start this conversation at is like, mm-hmm. what are my chances? Right. right. And right. so, and there is no, no magic formula. I don't have it. I have done this job many years and, you know, yeah. yes, there are things that I know we are going to pay attention to. And I will say that to students very explicitly because those are priorities at each of those institutions. Right. Mm-hmm. And it still doesn't mean that I can predict the outcome any more than anyone else who's part of the process, because it is a group of people that oftentimes make decisions. And so, you know, I think I really try to work with students to look at this as an opportunity rather than, you know, what are my chances? How do I strategize? Mm-hmm. Really think about it as an opportunity to sit still and really think about who they are at this point in time. Because I think with students, a lot of times they've been hearing constant, what I call noise, right? That external noise of like who they need to be, Mm -hmm. where they should want to go to school, right? Mm -hmm. They should want to go to Stanford. They should Mm -hmm. want to go to an Ivy League. And sometimes I think that I don't know that if they really want those things. I mean, I think they want to have a good you know, college journey and be successful and surprise you can do a lot of those things and not go to my institution and not go to a lot of the institutions right. that we think of, right? As right, the places right. where you're going to have this big epiphany and all these things are going to happen. And it's so, hard to, it's hard to convince kids and families yeah. of that, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, and and they don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. We we say, we say all yeah, the time. The you know, there's so many wonderful options out there, and so many different the places where a student can really develop and thrive in all the ways that you know parents want. Yeah, um, but the same schools end up on lists, right? So we yes. we we all end over up and over over. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is an opportunity to sit still and reflect. And how many of us really stop? and reflect about like what we're doing or how many high school students are reflecting on like what they've done up to that point in high school, right? Not a lot of them do, right? They are busy filling up their schedules, filling up their resume, doing, 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 but there's never sort of that that pause. And let me think about why I'm doing the things mm-hmm. that I'm doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they get to the college application process and that's what we're asking them to do. <laughs> And so I think for a lot of students, that is why they struggle with this, mm-hmm. because they, they don't write about themselves. They don't talk about themselves because they're not usually thinking about this. Now, I don't want to make that a blanket statement because there are suits. There are some, you know, there are some folks that are doing that. But the majority of what I've encountered is is not that it's the doing, doing, doing. And then when I meet with the admission counselor, just tell me what I need to do now so that I can get mm-hmm. to the next place. Right, right, right. right. Like, what is the checklist? Give it right. to me. I need it now. And um, often <laughs> right. they are disappointed with right. what I have to say. <laughs> right, right. Well, it speaks to this so. idea of authenticity, right? Exactly. And what I'm hearing you say is that the best quote unquote strategy and you know, it's a podcast, so people can can't see my air quotes. Um, <laughs> is is to really do introspection and to to move through high school in ways that are authentic, and that requires real critical thinking and critical self reflection. Yes. And I'm wondering, so to that end, like let's say there was this magical student for whom you know followed that path, you know the the path that I think all of us on both sides of the desk. And for those of you who don't know what that phrase means, it's for folks who work on the high school side and folks who work on the college side. You know, we we sort of all 
wish that for the students that we work with. Yeah. What would you say are sort of the, the words or the if the student sort of pursues that path, how does their application end up sounding or end up looking? What are some of the, the words or adjectives that come to mind that you would say characterize a, a strong application and yeah. a strong, strong in the sense of this sort of like authentic kind of personal and representing all of the different places where you've worked? This is when people start to write stuff down, right? So they can make sure they put it in their college application. Um, <laughs> Everyone drop your pens. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and, and it, again, you know, people sometimes are often, I think, disenchanted because they're expecting these really big things. But the, the truth is those applications come across as curious. They leave yeah. me asking myself more questions than sort of having facts, right? And those questions revolve around how is this student going to be a part of our community? Like, how do I envision them here, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. what might that look like? And I think about belonging, not just for the institution, but for the student. How do they think they might feel like they belong here? Mm -hmm. And that here is whatever particular institution I might be at at that point in time. And the truth is that, you know, when you think about our different communities, there's lots of different people in those communities. And so, you know, when it's like, what is the, the typical, and you can't see my air quotes, right? But what is a typical student at X, Y, and C institution? And the reality is that in, in the last two places I've worked, I think about some of the students that I've had the, the honor to read their applications and work with them as they've been admitted. And they're very different. Not not any one of those right. students is exactly like the other, right. right? And so I think for me, it's the application that that really leaves me asking myself, like, oh, you know, what this student is really grappling with some of these things and asking themselves these questions. And there is that curiosity. There is that, you know, learning comes across when they talk about the things that they like to learn about. It comes across as more exploration and not like I just did the things that I needed to do to get the A in the class. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there is a different way that you you write when you are more curious and exploring than when you are just worried about your grade. It's just mm -hmm. different. And when you read applications for many, many, many years and you read many essays and short answers and you just know it. You you do develop, you know, you can, again, you develop sort of that discerning, that discernment that you can read it when a student writes about it. And so it goes back to the point of authenticity that you were making and just really trying to portray who they are at that point in time in the application and not who they think the admission officer wants them to be. Because the reality is that even as admission officers, we're all looking for, we're all connecting with different things based on our own background, our own lived experiences, mm -hmm. and sort of the things that bring us to this work. So, yeah. I, what I love is that, you know, a lot of times I think Kathy and I will get asked by families or students, well, they don't really read they don't really read those essays that closely or they don't really take that much time. And, you know, we, we know from our own experience how much time we took, but I so appreciate you sort of underscoring that point that, you know, and I want folks to kind of, you know, what I hope folks, one of the things I hope folks can take away from your comment is that you all spend a tremendous amount of time and energy really looking in depth at, at all pieces of the, of an application to really get a, a sense of who this young person is. And when you do that for a long time, 
you can tell, you can tell stuff. You mm -hmm. can tell who's showing yeah. up in an authentic way and you can tell who is more robotic and check boxes because they think that's what they needed to do to like get into Dartmouth, right? Like you can kind of yeah. just tell over time. Yeah, you can so. tell when essays are over edited or when someone is inserting sort of other points of view, right? You know, and and that's and that takes away from the process. And honestly, you're doing yourself a disservice as a student because you may end up somewhere that you think would be a great place for you, mm -hmm. but it isn't because you haven't been authentic, you haven't been honest with yourself in the process, right? And so you're describing someone who you really aren't in many ways. And so we may read that and think, oh, this person would be a great fit here, right? And then it turns out that you may not be because you know we made the decision based on what you presented, but not maybe based on really you know who you are. And who you are is allowed to evolve and grow and change and all of those things, and it should, right? You shouldn't be the same person from one year to the next. So. I mean, it, it is, again, it's, it is a tough process, I think, because, because students haven't engaged as much in that self-reflection, and we're asking you to do a lot of that. And it's not just one application asking you to do a lot of that, right? Depending on how many colleges you apply to, you may be doing that over and over and over um, in different ways. And so that does take some time, and it takes a little courage to really mm -hmm. sit down and, and be honest with yourself about where you are. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I want to play devil's advocate a little bit because what we, and I'm, I'm going to do it on behalf of the parents that Meredith and I talk to a lot, and I'm sure you've talked to as well, right? Where they're going to say, well, that's all nice and good, but we know plenty of people who are working with this really high priced independent counselor who's doing XYZ. And, you know, we know that kid got into their top whatever schools, and we know that there are services out there that are, you know, I, I just heard about this recently. I don't know about you, if you've heard about this, like pairing kids with high college professors to work on research projects together so they can add that to their resume, right? Or, you know, what, whatever the thing, well, I you mean, know, varsity blues, news, you yeah. know, <laughs> varsity blues, whatever, you know, like all this stuff, like, oh, come on, like we know all of this stuff is being gamed. And how do you respond to that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, I will, it's a vulnerable place. For sure, as someone who does read these applications and, you know, doesn't have any sort of, I think, you know, again, thinking about the way we do this work, are there inequities? Absolutely. I think inequities exist yes. um, no matter what in higher education as a whole. When you think of where higher education started, how it started, what it was designed to do, it wasn't designed to have people whose first name is Jami Lett, going to college, um, mm -hmm. graduating, and certainly becoming an admission officer at any of the institutions that I've worked at, right? That is not what higher ed was designed to do. And so I think for me, first and foremost, I, I have an understanding of that and just of the inequities that exist within the system and what we are all, those of us who are doing the equity work in, in many of these systems, what we are striving to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, Yes, parents say, I hear a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't take any of it personal because the reality is that there are situations out there that have yeah. happened, right? Like yeah, of course. that is that is the reality, right. it's the truth. 
Right. What happens, though, I do think, as I and I know, as someone being involved, you know, at, at institutions where many of these things have been mm-hmm. talked about, is that there is nuance that is lost in many of these stories, right? And it's a clickbait, and we want people to just see it, and we want to sort of, here's what it is, and so a lot of the nuance of of what happens is lost, and often people like us who are reading the applications and doing the work, we kind of get lumped into everything else when many of the things that are happening haven't necessarily happened in the spaces where we are. But, you know, we're, everybody is responsible. We are all accountable. We are all part of the institution. and, And that is, you know, the reality. And so I think for me, it's again, going back to talking about the process that I know and how it happens and just focusing on that and knowing that I am being authentic and true to myself and that I am reading the entire application and that I am giving students Mm -hmm. that consideration Mm -hmm. and just reassuring parents of that. Unfortunately, you know, I can't control a lot of of the external things that are, but I know internally what we are doing to really try and address those things. And Mm -hmm. it's focusing on that and hopefully again, you know, gaining the trust of everybody, right? Because I think there's been, there's been a lot of talk about the process and and mistrust. And I want to honor that and recognize that. And so again, it's just continuing to do the good work that needs to be done and doing it as best as possible so that people do feel like it is, it is authentic in the way that we talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I mean, I think, you know, we, the admission and college counseling world is a small professional community and a lot of us know each other. And I think, you know, particularly with varsity blues, watching our friends in the admission office sort of, you know, have to be in this position, just the amount of integrity that goes into the process is really stunning. And I think that, you know, I think that's important to just sort of acknowledge here, you know, and so many of the the, the nuance and the other situations that happen on campuses far away from the admission office buildings that can, right. you know, make things, can make the news, right? staying on the parent front because you know we talk a lot about a lot of the work that we we do with students is around authentic identity and identity work and values and sometimes I I can notice that there's there's a lot of buy-in for that and then when the when we start to get into the later years of high school there's also sort of a desire from parents to really know the process and there's some acknowledgement that the process has changed over the years but they don't necessarily have or should know all of the different ways that it's changed so what from your experience like what do you think are some of the ways that parents can best support students in this process as they move through a process that as you've acknowledged is can be very personal requires a lot of introspection and self-reflection asks these 17 and 18 year olds to kind of know things about themselves that uh, maybe they're still discovering about themselves so mm-hmm. you know from your vantage point what would you you know if you could wave your magic wand what, how would you like mm-hmm. parents to sort of show up in this process for their children yeah i mean i think you're right. It, it, there's a lot of self-reflection and introspection the students have to do, but I think the parents have to also because you have to really sort of have a moment where you pause and sit with your with yourself, right? Um, because parents have expectations. They have expectations of where they want students to be, where they think students are going to be successful, supported, right? And so sometimes those expectations, what I have found in working with students their expectations and the students' expectations don't quite match. They don't Mm. line up. 
And that conversation hasn't happened sometimes before I meet the family. And then it, it sort of happens sort of all at once in, in my presence. And I've seen many of these conversations and some of them, you know, are, they don't, they're, they're very difficult, especially when they're in front of a stranger, right? Like they don't, they don't know me. And sure. so I think you kind of see this push and pull really happening. And so I think one of the ways is, is to, again, really sit down and sort of understand where you are as a parent with your expectations and have that conversation as you're both going through this process. I think in the past, I will say when I started working in admission, there was a lot of emphasis on like parents need to let students drive the process. And I still believe that Mm -hmm. you can guide students, right? You can Mm -hmm. be alongside them and still let them be the ones that are like writing their own statements, turning in their own things, not doing things for them. But that doesn't mean that we need to exclude you from the process, right? Mm -hmm. I do see at least in my family, going to college was a family sort of decision, even though my family did not know how to navigate the process. And I largely navigated the process by myself and then would bring the information back, right? And so there's students that have that experience like mine, and then there's students who have lots of other resources and their parents may have gone to college themselves. And so it's going to be different. But no matter what, there needs to be that conversation about those expectations and how to guide and not necessarily do for the student. Mm. Because ultimately they are still the ones that, you know, we're still wanting to learn about them. Um, They are the person we are admitting. And so Mm -hmm. I always say that we're admitting you, not your your parents, not your grandparents, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. They've had their moment. (laughs) And so, and then for, for students who don't have parents who've gone to college, like that is just a very different experience as well. Right. Right. And so, Sometimes those parents really don't know how to support students. They're the best, you know, their best support is just saying you're going to college no matter what, right? And just being there, constantly checking in. So that support may look different. And so I think it's going to look different for everyone, but it's really about just being there and kind of talking through some of those difficult points without doing things for the student. It's okay. And I'm going to say this and and may not be a popular opinion, but it's okay to to let them fail or miss a deadline because guess what? It happens once and it won't happen again, usually in this case. But sometimes that is, that is, that is how you support them is is to say, well, yeah, you kind of messed up. So how do we pick it up now and how do we continue to move forward? And so that is also being supportive, even though, you know, again, unpopular opinion, but it is. I think that, you know, it's, it's, I, I say that a lot actually yeah. to parents and maybe not, ne- not, not specifically about applying to college, but just in life, General. right? Just generally mm-hmm. talking about, you know, getting a bad grade or forgetting to turn assignment in or not being prepared for a test, right. like not letting your kid call in sick because they are not ready for their physics test, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. holding your kids accountable, like this, this, and I think it's all connected to what you're saying about when you're looking for authentic character, like some of the things that you're looking for is kids who have some resilience, right? Who know themselves because they've been given the chance to fail because they've been given the chance to kind of redeem themselves after falling down. And also things don't always go the way we want in adult land. And no, they don't. (laughs) It's not been my experience, at least as an adult. (laughs) And, And, you know, that will happen in college. You will have setbacks. And how do you bounce back from those setbacks? And how, you know, are you 
immediately picking up the phone and calling your mom and dad when you're 21? Or are you figuring it out yourself and, and maybe calling them for some support or some guidance, right. but not you not relying on that? Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, college has become such a rite of passage in our country. You know, it's like, this is the thing, right? For so many kids. And, and Meredith and I recognize we're talking from a very privileged place. Mm-hmm. Like not every kid has the opportunity to go to college. Not every kid is looking for is able to go to a four-year school after they right. are done with high school. Right. And I think it's not for, it doesn't make sense for every it doesn't, student. There's absolutely. so many other pathways. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we are talking from this place of, you know, I just want to recognize that we're both generally, we, we have worked in kind of these mm-hmm. rigorous prep school environments in which the expectation has been, you will absolutely go to college. You will go to a four-year college and you're going to get into the best four-year college you can possibly get into or else. Right. That's kind of been like the subtext, the subtext. Yeah, absolutely. It's been like, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, what do you, I mean, you are kind of in this privileged space, right? Working Mm -hmm. in in highly selective institutions. What do you want to say to those parents? Um, I mean, I think one. <laughs> I'm gonna put you're like, ooh, I'm putting on the screen. Let me yeah. let me get my scroll. <laughs> How much time do we have on this Zoom? Call? No, um, no. I, I mean, first of all, I think it's really important to recognize, as someone who works in college admissions, that college is not for everyone. And I say that, and I I really mean that. Like, I, I sometimes it's not that it's not for. Sometimes it's just not right now. It's not when, right? Like for some students, they need to finish high school and take take a minute, just take a, a step back. I've seen yeah. students that have worked for a year or done any number of things, right? Like it just doesn't matter. They just knew that when they finished high school, they weren't ready for that. And I want to say that's okay, <laughs> right? That is really okay. I guess in general, when I think of this process and sort of, again, like managing the expectations, there are 4,000 colleges in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, literally just said just that on my last, on the last episode. Right. You, it, it's okay. Like there are so many places that if you open your mind mm-hmm. and kind of look beyond, and yes, as someone I recognize again, where I'm working and where I've worked, that we make a lot of these lists, right? Of top 25, top 50, whatever it is. But again, like this may be a great place. It may not be a great place for you, but you, you'll, you won't figure that out because you're so focused on like, just what, what's the shiny thing in front of me and not perhaps like, what is, what is this going to look like long-term? Yeah. By the way, students transfer out of every institution that I've worked at, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not something we talk about. And does it happen in large numbers? No, I, to be fair, at both of the places that I've been at, it doesn't, but it still happens. So my point is, you know, someone can still think like, this is it, this is my dream school, and they may get to one of these institutions and, and find that maybe it's not. And so that's what I was talking about in terms of just being honest with themselves in the process. And some of it I find, and I've had these conversations with students, it comes from just the pressures they felt from family as they were going through this process, right? Especially, I've seen this, if the parent went to the institution and they want their, you know, the, mm-hmm. the student right. to go there as well. Right. Um, the, the amount of pressure that they will be putting on the student, not even recognizing it, but just doing it, right? Sort of mm-hmm. not 
having a more expanded conversation of like, let's really talk about a balanced list of schools. Like, what does that yeah. look like? It yeah. doesn't have mean? to be all yeah. of these, like on this, you know, whatever, Princeton <laughs> Review, whatever, you name it, whatever yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the source is. My so. favorite is when I look at a list and it's, you know, it's like nine it's like a list of 12 schools and nine of the 12 are far reaches. And, and the strategy is, well, if I just add more reaches and one of them will work out. I was like, I actually don't think that's how statistics works. I'm pretty sure mathematically that's a really inaccurate approach. But yeah. one of the things that I really you know appreciate about what you're saying that I think speaks to something that Kathy and I talk a lot about is just where students are developmentally and that not all adolescents, I mean, we have to remember that we're dealing with young people in this process mm -hmm. and people mature at different rates. They understand themselves in different ways. And so remembering that there's diverse pathways to career and diverse yep. pathways to post-secondary mm -hmm. education, I think can never be, we don't talk enough about that in, in our, right. in our culture. And it's, you know, Kathy and I have both gotten panic phone calls from families and students, you know, it's November of freshman year of college and the kid's miserable because they they chose a school right. for all the wrong reasons. And all of those reasons that seem so compelling in, you know, December of their senior year of high school and the, the schools that were popular in their high school at that time, and they got into one of those schools, no longer carry any weight in November of their freshman year of college when they just got a bad grade on their midterm and yeah. don't feel connected and feel isolated and far away from home and they're from California and they don't know how to shovel snow. Well, yeah, yeah and, we, and we get those real talk too. It's real talk, yeah, right? Yeah. Things, right. Yeah. In college Someone says, like, look, I, I said no and I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I, I right. and I can I take it back? Like, how can I, mm -hmm. right? Like, I said no and, and I made the wrong decision. And it's hard. It's hard even at that time because, you know, again, like we really have built a community. So every student that I advocate for in our process, I really believe they should be in our community. And so you know, one thing that we never talk about really is the fact that when students say no and they go somewhere else, I do feel sad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because these yeah. are students that I've gotten through notes through the process and sometimes even in person. And then, of course, they have many wonderful choices. And so, yeah, right. Like that's also part of the process. It's a human process. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we forget that often because there's just so much of it that ends up being like I said, clickbait, like what's the main mm. story? And so it all kind of gets buried in there that some along some somewhere along the way, like these are real people, everybody involved, right? Making some decisions that will have some long-term impact. And so some of those, some of those decisions, I think when people look in retrospect, they yeah, they wish they made a different choice, right? And so it it's again, I think it's it's part of the the not really sort of pausing and and trying to to take this one step at a time. Yeah. And that comes from a very privileged place because there's a lot of people that don't have that. Right. I didn't have a college counselor. So I figured out no, how to fill out my applications <laughs> and like, right. Yeah. And None of us did on this call. I had, <laughs> I had, uh, I got accepted to two schools. I went and visited mm -hmm. the campuses and where I felt the people were sort of the warmest, that's mm. where I chose to go because I was mm -hmm. like, okay, well, I think here they'll, they'll answer my questions and I'll be able to talk to people and, you know, at the other school that I was admitted to, it was a very large school and I just never felt like I was going to be able to connect with anyone. And that was it. That was like my whole like process of like where I'm going to college. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And I work with a very different, very different population of students now yep. that did don't approach the process in that yeah. way, right? And then there are truly students who are literally piecing this as they go one by one. And, you know, when we talk about equity, it is equitable for me to sit down with that student and help them a little mm-hmm. bit more because they don't have that. That I might be the only person they encounter that is able to give them that information. And that's okay. That is equity. Equity means that each person gets what they need based on their resources and what they have. And so, you know, I also remind myself of that. I think you made a a great point about this. A few, I mean, you've made a lot of great points, but what stuck with me right now was just you saying that this is a human process, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that parents and students are really hungry to make this uh, um, a scientific process where they can actually just look at data, look Mm -hmm. at numbers, look at cold heart, like let's look at the data of all the kids who have applied and the GPA and the SAT and and look at the activities. Mm -hmm. Like I've had kids say to me all the time, Everybody who's been the editor in chief at my school for the last five years has five years has gotten into Stanford or or Harvard or whatever yeah, school, right? Something like that. Something like that, right? And so they believe like this is the thing that happens, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Everybody's yeah. grasping at straws to try to somehow make this process that is. I mean, and I understand the why that's compelling because it's it's hard to understand that this is a human process on both sides, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. that there are actual human beings working in a committee, trying to build a class versus like using a computer to generate a bunch of data and beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, boop. And now we have a class, right? Well, and right. you just said it, you, they're trying to build a class. Right. So I think, you know, it's not N of one on your end, Jamalette. You're looking at building a community and as an individual right. student is going through it, they're only really thinking of right. their particular experience, their particular lens. And that's not their, that's not their fault, but I think it's something... That's a different orientation. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's, it's, you know, it's something that it's really hard for if you've never worked in admissions, yeah. if you've never mm-hmm. been yeah. somebody sitting in an admission committee or reading applications, it's just hard to wrap your brain around that. And I, I get it. And I'm trying to find a way to explain that to, that helps parents <laughs> understand. And I, I haven't found it yet, quite frankly. Yeah. I think it's really hard. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I I say this to families often. Um, If you want a predicted, predictable process, this is not it. Like applying to Stanford is not that process. But there are schools where you can look at their their information and you will control the outcome. You will know that is the outcome at that school. Right. This is not one of them. The previous institution I worked at is not one of them. The state institution that I started working at, if you were in the top 10% of your graduating class, you were getting into the, you know, these five schools in the state of Texas. So I knew, I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, I'm in the top 10% and I have this and okay, I know where I'm getting into. That was the process. And so Mm -hmm. when you look at highly selective schools, that's not the process, right? There's not a here, if this happens, this happens. Mm -hmm. Because as much as students like to say something like everyone who's the editor in chief always gets in, what they don't understand is that there are 
3,000 other editors in chief in that admission. Oh, yes. Pool. Heck yeah. I know. There's over 10,000 high schools <laughs> in the country. Trust that means 10,000 okay. valedictorians, 10,000 10, presidents of the things, student you know. body. You know, we tell kids that right. all the time, and it's really um, hard. To, it's that scale yeah. differential. Yeah. Yeah. It, to it appreciate. Is. So, right. And so you're looking at like one community, one thing, while we are tasked with looking at all across the country, right. we're looking internationally. internationally. Yep. Um, and there is something that students need to, students, parents, and I, again, I am honest in saying that you need to recognize you don't control university priorities, each university, all of them, because this isn't just at Stanford, right. Or, or right? All universities have their priorities of things that they want to accomplish based on their strategic plans, based mm -hmm. on the growth the university wants to have. Yep. And many of those things, by the way, are spelled out. Like you can find them, they're there. Now you may disagree with some of the priorities, but that is not going to change the outcome because those are the priorities of the institution. And so um, I think, again, those are things that are beyond the control of, of the family, the student, right. uh, the college counselor, right? Those are things that are outside of that sphere of control. And that is hard to recognize, but mm -hmm. that is a reality. And that is also Absolutely. part of the process. 100%. Such an important point. I tell, I tell students all the time, you can do everything right, everything right. And you may not get into this highly selective university in or fact, any highly. You, you probably won't. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you probably won't. If right? it's a sub 5% admit rate. Yeah. Lots right. of students do everything right. Right. And it's right. so hard to hear that. I it's get hard. it. I have a lot of. And it's not personal because mm -hmm. you're building a community. And, you know, but what I'm kind of hearing you say, Jamalette, and I, would you agree with the statement that to me, it means if we, if we were to sort of reverse engineer that reality, to me, it means that it's so important for students to build lists that are first and foremost <laughs> balanced. Mm -hmm but also yes. full of places that authentically speak to who they are or who they want to be and how they want to grow and what they're curious about intellectually that that that's sort of the integrity of the list yes versus the proper nouns matters yes. so much and i feel like that mm -hmm. you, like can, you can you can live <laughs> with a lot of outcomes when that's how your list is built right yeah and, and if you haven't spent your time just doing things to check them off the list, right? If you have really sort of explored the things that are of interest to you, then you can't be disappointed in that. You, you have right. been doing the things in high school that you've enjoyed. So even if the outcome isn't the exact outcome you wanted, hopefully you don't, you don't feel disappointed. You don't feel, because I hear this, well, I spent all this time doing all these things and now like, that didn't even get me into the college I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I hear that, it's like, well, that's why you did all these things. Mm -hmm. So let's think about that, right? Instead mm -hmm. of I did these things because these were the things that I was enjoying and I was exploring and I wanted to learn more about. And along that path, sometimes students find there's something they've done for a long time they don't want to continue to do in college, right? Or there's new things that they want to explore. And so again, hopefully if that's how you've approached 
high school, along with dealing with the many other right pressures and transitions that happen in high school, which there's many, many, many of those Mm -hmm. developmentally. Right. And so I think if you've approached it that way, hopefully when you look back, you don't feel disappointed because the outcome isn't right what you wanted because it's not a prescription. You have Mm -hmm. to sort of go through it, hopefully being true to who you are. Mm -hmm. And again, that doesn't doesn't mean that you're not going to change and that who you are can't change because Mm -hmm. it certainly does. And I think high school and college are places where a lot of, I I do, at least for me in my own sort of growth, a lot of it happened during those times because Mm -hmm. I, there were so many transitions happening. And so I had to really adapt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, If, if, if I think, I feel like we would be in su- I mean, there are societies like this that are not the United States, but we'd be in mm-hmm. such a better place if there were more pathways for like adulthood, right? Like you could get a job without going to a prestigious college, or I mean, you can get a job, but the belief in our society is of our perceptions. And particularly, right. let's let's also like yeah, echo locate us. We're in yeah, Silicon, Silicon Valley, Valley so, you know. That's you know. <laughs> You know, so there is this, you know, this prestige chasing, like if I get into X college, therefore I will get, I mean, kids tell me this that I work with over and over again. Well, why do you want to go to college? Well, because I want a job. And I'm like, well, you could go to lots of colleges, but I want a good job. <laughs> Let's be clear. I want a good job. Okay. You mean a high paying job? Yes. And if I, if I, I, and I, if I have to go to at least this college in order to get a high paying job, because if I don't, then I'm just going to, nothing's yeah. going to happen to me. And that's just not, it's not the facts, but it's what we believe. But I think, okay. yeah, that's what you think a good job is, because I would argue that I didn't go to an Ivy League school and I have a very good job and I love what I do and I get up every day and I, and I really value the the opportunity mm-hmm. to serve students in the mm-hmm. capacity that I mm-hmm. do, right? Mm-hmm. Where I grew up, I have a very good job. <laughs> so, you know, right. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's right. It's all relative to totally. sort of like, I guess your perception, because someone I certainly did not think when I was growing up that I would ever have the privilege to be in the position that I'm in now, right? Or to to do any of what I've done, quite frankly. And so, yeah, maybe I'm not making, and I'm not making hundred thousands of dollars because that's not why we get into into education. And certainly, as an admission officer, I can say that's you know I'm sure people can vouch for me, but I do love what I do, and I get to work with students at a point in time where it's really, it's, it's a very, I think it's a very cool time. Yeah, <laughs> it is. totally. totally. Because um, those are probably, I have some really cool conversations. Yeah, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I think it depends what you think a good job is, right? Ah, right. <laughs> uh, Jamalette, you're the best. I just so, <laughs> would so appreciate your sort of just thoughtful, grounded approach to this process. Um, so thank you so much. You know, we have to let John let go because guess what? She's reading files, everybody, right now. <laughs> which is her which break. Actually, her break is our podcast. <laughs> yeah, her break is our podcast. I tell kids, I, I'm like, you know, reading files is like studying for finals for ever, yeah. for, for a really for long time. Hours yeah, it's just like a lot of critical day. thinking. It's hard work. It's hard work. Yes. It's hard work. It so hydrate. Yes. Have your snacks handy. I have my snacks. I hydrate. A break. Got my blue light glasses. It's a good walk around. Exactly. It's a good reminder too for for families moving through this process about you know just just know that that admission officer that is on your Zoom phone or your your computer screen or if you're actually able to go to campuses and take a tour and hear a presentation 
they are uh, working their butt off and yeah. they're all about to go into committee uh, pretty darn soon here and hibernate. Yeah, it's hard it, work. It's really hard work. They Intense, approach it with tremendous work, yeah. integrity mm-hmm. and are having to juggle just a lot of competing priorities, all while sort of supporting students, you know, and helping to sort of demystify the process generally, not just for their own institution. So just want to acknowledge that and acknowledge your awesomeness, John, John Millette. Thank you so much for spending time with us on your, it's a Sunday, everyone. So <laughs> yeah, amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you both for having me and yeah, good luck with the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks Take for care. Being here. Bye, Jamla. Bye. Bye. So I, I love talking to Jamla. I don't know about you, but I feel like I uh, had a little moment of nostalgia, sort of reliving my admission days and what it's like to be in committee and read all day long on a Sunday. I, and- I did not have a. I had like a PTSD <laughs> moment. <laughs> so not quite a not quite a fond, a fond memory. No, no, I don't miss. I don't miss reading files at all. Know. Not That's even really a little work. bit. No, it's hard work. And it's why I think we both went to the high school side. Which turns out also equally hard. <laughs> equally for hard different for different reasons. reasons. Yeah. For different so, reasons. So now we just um, work with teens one-on-one. It's even better. And schools. But, I mean, I'm struck by, yeah, and schools. You know, I help work with the schools on a systems level. But I'm struck by both John Millette and, you know, Sophie. Both were talking about authenticity. Like, that feels to me like the theme of those podcasts. About yes. really approaching this process. So, Sophie, by the way, if you have not heard our podcast on a teenager's perspective going through the college process, you should listen to it. It's awesome. Yeah. And really talking about knowing the reasons why you're applying to the schools you're applying and trying as best as you can to turn down the volume on the sort of societal noise around us that you can't help, but you can't help yeah. but have, you don't, you know, if you don't live in a cave, you can't help but hear it about right. what, you thank know, you, social media. Thank you. Instagram. Thank <laughs> yes. you. Meta. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but moving through the process in ways that are authentic. And, and, and one of the things that I love to talk to families about is, okay, how do you play the long game here? So, There's so much energy required around the getting in, but then you will get in somewhere. And then there's the being there. What does the being there look like? You know, if it's the middle of junior year and you're struggling and you just, you know, broke up with your first significant other that you've ever had and it's cold outside and you're homesick, you know, what's that like? Yeah. But here's the thing, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to play, I love playing devil's advocate. I'll do it again. And I'm going to be a parent who's like, I don't care. I'll, I'll think about that after they're at Harvard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the priorities are just, and I can't choose a parent's priority, but you know, like I can't, I can't, I wish I could just be like, Hey, I would really, I would yeah. like you to prioritize your, your child's well-being and, and yeah. development over prestige. Yeah. But I think that there are parents who believe that what is best for their kid is getting into the most pre- prestigious school that they can get into because it's a resume builder and this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just reading this list the other day. I'll post it in our, on our website, but there's a, you, I don't like us news <laughs> in general because they, post college rankings and I don't believe them. Yeah. And the way those rankings are calculated is pretty stupid. If you actually know what we'll do a whole episode on that too, but uh, Malcolm Gladwell actually has a really good episode on college rankings. So we won't do an episode on that because it won't be better than his, but um, (laughs) we'll refer to his instead. But the point is uh, the U S news came out with a list of, and this was just based in facts, but which was like the college degrees, the undergraduate institutions that the Forbes, like, one of oh, like make the most money. Right. Yeah. And 
you know, if you are measuring, like for a lot of families, they are, and a lot of kids are measuring like success, success with like title and money. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's how you should measure success. Mm-hmm. I'm just recognizing it as a societal norm. And that actually the vast majority of CEOs did not go to an Ivy League institution. The vast majority of them actually right. went to state colleges. Right. So, but people like people hear those facts and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still want my kid to go to Princeton. <laughs> You know, it's like yeah. so hard. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Tricky. And I think it's like, I think it's just a process that of, is very evocative. And it, it, I do think to do it well requires a certain degree of trust in people who have done the work. I think that's one of the things that I always sort of tell families is if you're a parent, you're moving through this process, watching your kid apply to college, you're inevitably going to run into some aspect of the process or some fact about a school that violates your sensibilities in some way, whatever those sensibilities mm-hmm. are, maybe perceptions of prestige, maybe it's, you know, the kind of student you think goes to this place, or maybe you think that's a party school and this isn't, something is going to come up for you in that way. And I think when that moment happens, and it will happen, how you react to that moment it, is important yeah. to the degree to which you can summon curiosity and try to interrogate some of those automatic preconceived notions in general, you and I have been doing this work for a long time. And I think we see that that is a better strategy for a more happier, healthier, healthier, Mm -hmm. well processed for the whole family system, not just the student Mm -hmm. than the alternative, Mm -hmm. which is to sort of cling to these perceptions without investigating them. And who knows, maybe you investigate them and you still reach the same conclusion, but at least Mm -hmm. you, you, you took a beat. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important. And if at the end of the day, you know, folks want to, parents sort of want to move through the process or students want to move through the process in ways that are maybe more narrow, you know, or or sort of define set success more narrowly. Mm -hmm. It's your prerogative. That's your choice. Yeah. And, and, and that tape will, will play how it's going to play. Right. That's right. But I think, you know, we want to offer some, the, the notion that perhaps there, that's not the only way and that there's lots of different options out there that, that could in fact be, be better. Mm -hmm. Um, Dare we say better? Dare we say healthier? We dare. Well, we, I think we dare. I, we totally dare. You know, we dare because we've seen hundreds. Dude, we've been doing kids. this a long ass time, people. We watched. We we have literally seen hundreds of kids go through this process, and we see which kids get just eaten up through the process, and families get eaten up by the yeah. process. And we've seen kids who no, really I mean, it's thousands at this point. Is it thousands? It's thousands I'm, for yeah, me. Yeah, you're right. It's thousands, I mean, but. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> I was like thousands, thousands. It's yeah. Thousands. I mean, it's, so. it's, you know, the, this, the, I've worked with a lot of young adults who've moved through the process in ways that are sort of the stereotypical ways that we're, we're kind of low key, um, encouraging you to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> low key or high key? Or low, high key. High key. Uh, and it's, it's rough, man. It's rough for those. And they get into the, they get it, you know, that's why you're reading all these articles about Gen Z and they're sort of, and, and earlier on millennials getting into the workplace and encountering setbacks and difficulties with supervisors because there just wasn't capacity to sort of move through difficulty. Resilience. Or, yeah. Resilience is a big deal. And mm-hmm. it's hard to come by resilience without messing stuff up from time to time. That's right. So we will talk more about college admissions in future episodes. We will definitely do, you know, I think one of the main points that we kind of left the episode with is that actually, you know, 
you got to look at the whole list broadly and you've got to find great fits kind of across the board. So we will do an episode soon on building lists because we know that's coming up really soon. If you have a high school junior, we will post some links to resources that we mentioned in our website. And that's it for now. Stay tuned for future stuff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. If you like what you're hearing and you have friends with teenagers, please share it with one of them. You can check out this episode and others on our website, wespeakteen.com. And we want to know what you want to know. So if you have questions or hot topics that you want us to cover, email us at hello at wespeakteen.com.